0: episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Amy Weaver. Amy is currently the President, Legal and Corporate Affairs, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary at Salesforce. Salesforce has long embraced stakeholder governance and has been a leader in aligning its business strategy with its social purpose. Examples of this include advocating against anti-LGBTQ legislation and being the first and only one of two companies to advocate in favor of a corporate tax to address the homelessness crisis in San Francisco. Today, we will discuss how Amy incorporates that stakeholder-oriented approach into her leadership of the legal function at Salesforce. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Amy. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So this ESG beat will focus on Salesforce's articulation of its business purpose, which we've discussed in the past, and how closely that's been aligned with social purpose, and how that's changed uh, to be even more aligned with social purpose over the past few years. But before we get started, let's start with your role within legal and how that relates to what I'm calling the ESG function at Salesforce.
1: Sure. So my role, my official title at Salesforce is President and Chief Legal officer. And as part of that role, I manage uh, the legal team, but also compliance, internal audit, uh, office of accessibility, corporate security, um, government affairs, ethics, and a few few other teams. And what I love about this is every one of these teams I've listed has its own specific charter, its own specific goals for the company and for the year. But every group is really united around a common mission of protecting and enabling compliance for the company. And this really goes, I think, also to the heart of ESG. ESG has gone from being kind of a small team that might be tucked away at more progressive companies and, you know, some corner to check a box to being a function that touches every group in the company. And that certainly goes for all of the groups in LCA, which is how we refer to legal and corporate affairs.
0: Yeah, we've, we've talked about how highly integrated ESG is in Salesforce and how broad your ambit is. And the fact that you know, so much of it does intersect with your role really shows how much the company has always valued ESG. So I wanted to move on to social purpose, which has become a buzzword since the Business Roundtable statement last year. But can you describe for us how Salesforce's historical approach has been with respect to social purpose and business purpose? So
1: first, you know, we, we were thrilled to see the Business round table really endorse this idea of social purpose and stakeholder theory. Uh, this is something that Salesforce has been involved with since li- literally the first day the company was created. So on the first day Salesforce was established, uh, Mark Benioff, Parker Harris, our co-founders, and the two other founders committed to this concept that at that point we were calling one, one, one. And that meant that from day one, they were gonna give 1% of employees time, 1% of the equity and 1% of their product to charitable causes. And Mark loves to, you know, loves to joke that that was the easiest thing ever because they had no employees, they had no product and the equity wasn't worth anything. But over time that has become really, really powerful. And we now have 51,000 nonprofits that are running on our system, either free or for some sort of reduced uh, rate. Our employees have worked more than 5 million hours uh, in volunteer capacities, and we've given away $352 million in grants. And what is probably even more important is we've really advocated this model to other companies as they come up. Because the earlier you can get in and start doing this, the easier it is. And we now have more than 10,000 other companies who have adopted this model in some ways, which is having a much, much greater effect beyond Salesforce. And I think is you know, ultimately that will be the legacy of Salesforce. And I think when I look at this what it really shows is that Salesforce has been a different type of company from the beginning where words like social purpose uh, aren't new they you know they're, they're woven into every part of the company from day one
0: yeah and we've even uh, talked about how serious you are with respect to the volunteer hours and I've asked you before well you know, how do you know that members of your team are, you know, actually doing that in volunteer hours? And you've said, Oh, well, I actually check. Oh, I do.
1: I do. I have an app on my phone. I can look up how people are doing on their volunteer hours. I think it's so important and you know, I don't check just to look over their shoulder and make sure they are doing work. But I, first I want people to feel empowered to take that time. We give employees seven days paid time. Um, off to to do this work. I want people to feel really empowered to do it, not to get too busy to do it. Also, because I think it's just good for people. People come back from doing volunteer time off energized about their job, about their um, purpose, about their connection to their communities and to the company. And so I love it. And, you know, I'm constantly asking people how they're doing on their volunteer hours and uh, where they are. And I get notices. If people use up their entire time, not use it up and do the full seven days, um, I, I automatically get an email uh, from the company so that I can go out and make a big deal and kind of reward them for doing that as well.
0: Let's shift to something that we've discussed in the past, which is in your role as president and chief legal officer, do you worry about any conflicts or perceived conflicts between the board's fiduciary duties and Salesforce's you know, progressive articulation of its social purpose? And, and has that sort of worry changed over the past, let's say, five years?
1: Well, I would say that the, the very basis behind that, which really goes to the roots of Delaware law, go back much more than five years. Um, I think back to when I was in law school and I went to Harvard in the mid nineties and I remember very distinctly uh, the day I sat in my corporate law class and we discussed what was really the purpose of a corporation. And people really believed that the only purpose was to return profits to shareholders. And there was this raging debate about whether a company had any obligation to its community. And you know, even then, this, this was a pretty liberal law school, but the students on the right said, no, but there's no obligation to communities. Don't do any harm, of course, but there's no overt obligation. And the students on the left very self-righteously said, no, absolutely, you have an obligation. But when pressed on what that obligation was, they suggested it was making like small donations to the Little League or the local ballet. So even this group of idealistic, young, 20-year-old students, we had no concept of what the power of corporation was and also what was really good for creating strong corporations. So when I look at it today, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is thinking that there's really a tension or a conflict between doing what's best for your shareholders and doing what's best for all of your stakeholders. In fact, if you are failing to look at your stakeholders, looking at your employees, your communities, your partners, I think that you're doing a disservice to your shareholders because you're failing to create a company that is strong and it's going to be long-term. And you need to do that really to serve the ultimate purpose of corporations. So I don't worry at this point between that there is some sort of conflict built in between the fiduciary duties and how we are involved with progressive movements and what the duties are that our board has.
0: Now, Salesforce has always been incredibly progressive. How has your commitment to social purpose changed in the last few years, just given how far the investment community and the rest of the, let's say, more traditional business community has come? Well, I think it's been fun. Um, Salesforce was always really cutting edge in terms of where we were willing to
1: jump in and really use our business and use our voice and our values and our platform. And the the first instance where we were very outspoken was in Indiana back in 2015. Indiana state legislature passed a bill that we were very concerned could be used to discriminate, uh, particularly against the LGBTQ community. Salesforce jumped in, Mark became very active on Twitter. I flew back to Indiana, our head of government affairs joined me back there. And it was one of the first times a company had come out that publicly um, against a piece of legislation that was really aimed at a social issue. And we were very lucky. We were able to get in there at the right timing, worked across um, with Republicans and Democrats uh, locally, with local church groups, with local communities. And within a week, we were able to be part of a team that helped get the law amended. And I remember standing in the state house in Indiana, which is gorgeous, by the way, and being so proud to be part of that. But that was really novel for a company to take that position. That's not novel anymore. And over the last five years, we've seen companies stepping up and really taking a lead in realizing that by stepping in and helping um, with laws that would affect their employees, that would affect their customers, their partners, their communities, they can really um, do a lot of good and strengthen their companies. You know, another example that was unusual was Proposition C. And so that was about a year and a half ago in San Francisco, it was a ballot initiative that was put on the books in San Francisco with the goal of taxing large corporations to create a pool of money that could be used to really address the homelessness crisis in San Francisco and also mental health uh, support. Um, this was not popular with large corporations, it was going to raise you know raise our tax. I was not surprised at all that Salesforce took a very different position and said, you know what, this is good for our communities. We need San Francisco to be a strong, vibrant city. We need to address this homelessness crisis. So we jumped in, we spent a ton of our own money, uh, own resources, own time, and really supported the initiative. And it passed uh, with 62% of the vote. And again, a very unusual um, way for a company to jump in, but really proud of what we did in that
0: case. Yeah, with respect to propsy, still very much on the vanguard, given how few companies have supported it. To date, only two, is that right? I think
1: that's, well, at the time, we we're it was just one. And I think uh, one company joined us afterwards. Um, you know, we, we were not very popular at that time. But you know, we really believed it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing for San Francisco. It was the right thing for our employees and it's going to make uh, our customers stronger as well.
0: So let's talk about another area that really, where there's a strong nexus with uh, the legal department and where you're clearly on the vanguard. And I've been so impressed as someone who studies corporate law, And that's disclosure. You've been very clear in your financial disclosures about your corporate purpose and its alignment with social purpose. Can you give us a perspective of the chief legal officer on that approach to disclosure?
1: Yes. um, If anything, um, I was the person probably dragging my feet a bit on that. So two, three years ago, uh, a couple of uh, people from our environmental team came forward and said, "You know, we think we should put all of this additional disclosure in our 10K. And I remember reading through it and saying, that's a terrible idea. I mean, this is an SEC document. We're filing it for the world. I mean, it's one thing to be saying this in the press release. It's another thing right here. And so it took it took me a while to get really comfortable that uh, we were going to say this and make these commitments really in um, a filed document. Uh, we did, and it was interesting. We filed it around, um, I think it was right after the markets closed one day. I so, said, you know, 1 o'clock, one thirty in the afternoon. And by 6 o'clock, there was a television news story on the fact that we had added all of this disclosure. It was considered very unusual. But what we saw is within a few months, more and more other companies started doing it. And I'm really, really proud of that. So now I like to take credit for it, even though I, I fully admit I was dragging my feet. Uh, but we're seeing more and more companies, it's becoming very typical to jump in publicly and disclose what they're doing, either through you know, stakeholder reports, ESG reports that they put out, or I think very meaningfully, putting it right into their SEC filings.
0: So just to contextualize for our audience, just how bold you were in your SEC filings, can you give us a sense of your disclosures? Sure. So we were very clear that we
1: we believe in
0: stakeholder theory. And I want to be
1: clear, our stakeholders are a broad group. Uh, It starts with our stockholders. It's our stockholders, our customers, our employees, our community, our environment, uh, the society we live in. And this is driven by our values of equal rights and equal pay. Um, And it's really led to changes that we've made in many, many areas. I mean, we are committed, as we put in our SEC filing, to creating a sustainable, low-carbon future. We want to deliver a carbon-neutral cloud. We want to operate as a net-zero greenhouse gas emissions company. And we're working to achieve our goal of 100% renewable energy for our global operations. And it was important to us that if we are going to do this, we should own up to this and put this in a document that people can read and people can read back to us.
0: Um, So now let's pivot to some challenges. You know, given how progressive you've been with respect to so many different issues from environmental justice to social justice, are there instances where it's hard to articulate what issues you maybe shouldn't take a stand on and how do you mediate those potential conflicts perhaps among your stakeholders?
1: Well, in general, we always say everything at Salesforce is guided by our four core values. And the values are trust, customer success, innovation, and equality. So anything that we take on as an issue really has to tie back to one of these. Having said that, uh, trust and equality in particular are very broad, uh, broad broad words that can be used in a lot of different ways. Uh, I recall when I arrived back from Indiana. Um, I did not really have a chance to catch my breath and kind of celebrate what we had done there before I had like a tidal wave of requests coming in that, well, you did this issue. Why don't you take up this issue or that issue or another issue? Um, There's always something that someone really is important to them and wants to bring up. And it can be really hard to make those judgment calls. Um, At the end of the day, there are restraints on time, on resources, and also on how we can be the most effective. Um, It's very important to us. There could be an issue that we feel very, very strongly about, but if it is involving a state law and let's say Mississippi, where we um, have, I think two employees and two customers and no offices, we are not gonna have the same voice and the same platform, the same ability to make change that we are in a place like Georgia. Uh, where we recently uh, lobbied very hard for the Georgia uh, Hate Crimes Act, which was just passed this past week, or Indiana, where we have great roots, a great, um, uh, a great employee base through our our acquisition of Exact Target. So it really is a balance of does it tie to our core values, and can we be effective? Can we use our voice in a way that's powerful?
0: Let's talk about the role of companies versus the role of government. And certainly that line is becoming much more blurred. Does that worry you, the blurring of the line? And where do you see that headed?
1: Actually, it it worries me a great deal. Um,
0: I attended a
1: conference. This was probably two, three years ago. And it was a great conference, tons of CEOs and groups coming together to talk about corporate purpose and different programs. And company after company got up and really spoke about these amazing programs that they were doing. But as I started looking at them, it it was interesting. A lot of them were stepping into education. Um, A lot of them had to do with safety and a lot of them had to do with infrastructure and it's fixing roads even um, in areas that had very dangerous roads or governments weren't doing it. All of these are great things and they need to be supported. But even if you look at the most kind of libertarian view of what a government does, public safety, infrastructure, public education, these are the core functions of government. And what really concerned me about that is it seemed to be one of two things. Either we weren't holding government accountable. We were just giving up and stepping in. Or it was a feeling that we were really usurping a government goal and saying, we can just do this better, we'll take it away. And I was really bothered by this. Um, I think when you talk about stepping into these roles, it has to be partnership with the government. And that's one of the reasons, for example, what we were doing with Prop C, this wasn't privately setting up our own housing. It was working with the government to get money for the government to be able to use it. Um, And I think we have to look at ways that we partner and that we support government. We, we need a strong, functioning, uh, effective government. And we need to support them in doing these areas. So one other area where Salesforce has been very involved is in supporting the San Francisco and Oakland school districts. And again, I use the word support. We're not taking over any part of it. We're trying to support the teachers and the administrators who are there right now. So a number of years ago, Salesforce.org, our charitable arm, gave grants. I believe it was $100,000 to every middle school um, principal. And we said, do what you want to with the money. And They all kind of looked at us blankly like, pardon? And we said, no, you know your school you know the student body, you know what your school needs. You might need a new paint job at this school. You might need computers at another, Mm -hmm. do what you want. The only requirement is you come back here in a year and you share your story. And so a year later, the principals came back and some of them said, totally blew it. This was the wrong way to do it. Another person came back with this great idea. But what we did is we trusted them and we empowered them with these additional funding. And it's that type of partnership where I think companies can be really, really powerful.
0: I'd like to move to the present moment. We, we um, you know, are recording this ESG beat amidst a global pandemic um, and uh, racial injustice, which has of course existed for, throughout our history. How has Salesforce's um, connections with its stakeholders and stakeholder governance approach impacted um, its strategy during COVID-19 and uh, its support of the Black Lives Matter movement as well?
1: So it's clearly been an incredible um, spring in terms of winter and spring, a decade actually, this entire 2020 feels like it's been going on for about a t- if not 10 years, if 100 years. And these two um, major issues that we are grappling with right now—the pandemic—and then also really a, an awakening to the systemic injustice and a reckoning with that that we're going through. So l- let me t- let me separate those out a little bit to, uh, to begin with. So especially in March and April, we were really um, it really focused on our COVID response, and. We really tried to lean into stakeholder theory and what we were doing to support all of our constituents during that time. We really put people first. It was investing in making sure our employees were safe, that they were, their families were safe, that they were at home, they had what they needed. Um, and also, really focusing on mental health. I spent a lot of time just um, having direct conversations with our employees. We have a town hall every single Wednesday where Mark Benioff and our leadership team we speak uh, for an hour, answer questions to fifty two thousand employees. That has been great. But really investing in that area. Then we also invested in our local communities. We made a number of uh, grants to small businesses, particularly those that were around our companies. Uh, We supported uh, for a period of time, a lot of our hourly vendor employees by continuing to pay them during that uh, period. And then also working with our customers to make sure that they were doing well and seeing how we could support. And this included working with a lot of state governments. Um, including standing up contact tracing apps very quickly through our product. So very, very busy time. Uh, Fast forward to kind of April, May, uh, June, and a real shifting focus to racial justice and the search for that. And one of the people that we had come in, we brought in a number of people to really focus and link conversations around the situation. And one of the people who really uh, resonated the most with us and with our philosophy was Melody Hobson. And Melody is president and co-CEO, co-CEO of Ariel Investments. And she really encouraged businesses to focus on what she said were the three P's. It was people, purchasing, and philanthropy. And uh, we took that and we added a fourth P, which is policy. And what we did is we quickly pulled together a racial uh, task force with our head of philanthropy, our head of people, our head of um, recruiting and equality, our head of procurement, and then our head of government affairs. And in fact, just today they just put out a statement on what Salesforce is going to do. But it's great; it's focusing on people, and we have made new commitments. Um, one is to increase um, the numbers of uh, Black employees we have in leadership, to double uh, the number in leadership by the end of 2023, and to increase our overall population of Black employees by more than 50% during that same time. In um, purchasing, our procurement team wants to ensure, you know, and purchasing is such an important arm of every company. Every company has to purchase services and uh, goods and other things, it's a very easy way to actually use your power to do good. And we're committing that we will spend at least $100 million with Black-owned businesses over the next three years. In philanthropy, we're focusing on the investments we're going to make in nonprofits that work to advance racial equality, and particularly in using our technology to do that. And then finally, policy, which is nearest and dearest to my heart, we are looking at ways that we can really advocate for economic empowerment, for police reform, uh, for good use of technology. For example, you know, how is artificial intelligence being used? and is it, is it being used in a way that's racially sensitive? And then finally, really trying to work with urgency to advance uh, hate crime legislation. And we were able to jump in in Georgia and really help uh, with that one as well, which was a terrific way to kick, kick this off.
0: Amy, thank you so much. And I look forward to reading the statement that Salesforce put out today, um, and in particular, looking at the policy commitments that you've made. So I always like to end the ESG beat with a magic wand and a crystal ball. And let's start with a magic wand. So, if I gave you a magic wand and you can cause companies to change something about the way they approach their social purpose, what would that be?
1: I love the idea of having a magic wand. I, I think the most important thing they could do is to stop viewing stakeholders and shareholders as competing priorities. Focusing on stakeholders is by far the best way to serve our shareholders over the long term.
0: And living away from this, uh, division. I think it's extremely important. And now on to the crystal ball. Where do you see us headed?
1: Well, in some ways, I'd rather have my magic wand um, again instead of the crystal ball. I, I do, I am concerned with, it, as we look forward on the, on the economy and where we're going, and we look at so many companies that are really struggling right now with their footing, And not sure whether they're going to have to cut jobs or whether they're losing revenue. I am concerned that focuses on things like diversity and inclusion and ESG may fall a little bit to the wayside. And so I'd like to kind of reclaim that magic wand and use it to use it in this area to make sure that companies aren't doing that and that they realize that this is really the time to double down in those areas. And that by doing that, they are going to come out of this crisis much stronger, much healthier
0: and provide much more fulfilling companies and careers for their employees. Thank you. I hope that, I, I wish I could give you a magic wand. If I had a magic wand, I'd give it to you. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me be here today. This was really fun. Uh, thank you uh, for your leadership. And I, I look forward to speaking with you about all of these initiatives in the weeks and the years to come. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.